Hello and welcome to episode two of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast, here to review a record-breaking weekend of Liberty A-League women's action. Here with me today is Paletti, Christian Montagan and Antonis Pagonis. My name is Lachlan Avel and guys, how was your weekend of football? Fantastic, honestly. Like, I think I made the complaint on last week's episode, our inaugural episode, that I was disappointed I couldn't do both the F3 derby and the Sydney derby. And after watching, uh, after watching both games, I'm definitely disappointed I couldn't do both. Like, it was just that would have been a perfect way to spend a Saturday. Yeah, it was really a very fun first week of the A-League women's season starting. I had a bit of everything. I just, and I think I'm going to come off a bit of a complainer here. We had great crowds, but I thought it would have been even better with a bit more pushing, you know. I feel like it would have been advertised a bit better, but it was just fantastic to see all these record-breaking crowds, and it's showing you how much more we can grow into it with some better advertising and better scheduling moving on to the future. So fantastic first week back of the A-Leagues. Yeah, I think it was obviously great to just have the season back in general. Um, for me personally, I couldn't get out to watch any games, but um, with Paramount Plus, with the with the pause button, the rewind, now finally you can watch it whenever you want. So uh, that's a well-added addition. So nah, looking forward to the rest of the season because round one produced some, yeah, some quality football. Well, here's some numbers from week one. The, the first game, the F3 derby, broke the regular season standalone attendance record with a crowd of 5,735, only to stand for a couple of hours until the Sydney derby overtook it with 11,471. It broke the all-time total round attendance with over 26,000 fans. We were a little bit worried that maybe the gap between the Matildas at the Women's World Cup and the start of the season would maybe kill some of the hype, but these numbers are exceptional. It shows you the interest is there, though, doesn't it? Like, people want to get out to these things, but we, as a league and as supporters, we kind of have to help it as well when it comes to stuff, like I said, the scheduling, advertising, and just keeping in mind, like, I know that the APL has gone down the path of double headers in the past and will keep going down this season, but again, how many people are going to stick around for all these hours of football? You know, for example, talking off air in Adelaide Friday night, um, we are going to have a double header against Central Coast Adelaide United. And the women's game starting at 4.30. Now, I know for a fact there were a lot of people there against Canberra watching a four-hole draw thinking, wow, I really want to get out of one of these games again. And the next one comes towards the end of a working day on a Friday night uh, 4.30 when a lot of people are still working and there's another game on after which a lot of people will go to as well. So again, it's not ideal how it's scheduled for me right now, but again, we've got the proofs in the pudding. People care. People want to attend these games and at least in Adelaide, it's showing people that this is an attacking, it's a t- fun team to watch. So Again, I think we can be a bit better about how we go about it, but it's great to see that the interest is there. 26,000 for the first round is just magnificent. I think especially after the first round, I mean, I think people expected to see, especially, you know, a bit of a big boost compared to last season, obviously, of the back of the World Cup. But I think at the same time, we've got to be realistic to say, you know, we're not going to see those exact same crowds of the World Cup, you know. It's still a work in progress. It's going to take time to build... um, the growth in interest, you know, and it's, yeah, like I said, it's going to take time, but 
um, yeah, I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. In addition as well, we learned that over 24,000 kids have signed up for the Liberty A-League Pass, which is given under-16s free entry to all A-League women's games this year, which has been a great initiative from the APL. It's a great initiative, and that's who you want at the games. After the Adelaide United game, it was great to see all these players stay back to get around these young fans. And, you know, that's what it's all about. This is how it should be advertised. It is an environment for these kids to come and meet their heroes. And the second thing is about it's the next generation of Matildas. That's where they're playing. You know, I can pinpoint a couple of Adelaide United players who – almost a shoo-in for the Matildas in my books in the coming years. And you see all these players, the Kurs, the Rassos, the um, names escaping me right now, the Catleys, all around Europe playing. This is where they were at a couple of years ago. So for me, that, those things, the connection plus the future Matilda should really be the talking points, the advertising points for this league because this is what we have and we should embrace it. Yeah, we just need to stop players, uh, sorry, kids asking players for jerseys. <laughs> Not much you can do, especially when you only get one shirt a year and you have to pay when you give it away. So a much different context to those European clubs. All right, onto the football, shall we? And we'll start with the Sydney Derby, the most attended domestic game of women's football in Australia ever. Paletti, you were there the Cove and the RBB both showed up. The atmosphere was awesome. Courtney Vine getting cheered whenever she touched the ball. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a sight, a sight to behold, and I'm. Uh, it almost brought tears to my eyes just seeing that the crowds haven't dropped off after the Women's World Cup, and and, and I'm hoping that going forward, that you know, like like look, there'll be a little bit of drop off. It's the first round. As long as we don't go back to like sub 500 crowds at stadiums I'll be I'll be incredibly joyous like I think this is a step in the right direction like that game was very exciting the, the Wanderers made it a contest like I know I know from my end at least there was a lot of um oh this could be five or six here you know in the lead up to it because we talked about it last week they've sacked their coach 10 days out from the season you know they look you know a little bit disjointed a bunch of new players coming in you know, and yet they put up a bit of a fight. Now, how much of that went down to the fact that the Nat Tobin got injured, that uh, Tori Tumuth, uh was suffering from, I believe it was cramp. I don't think she's suffered an actual injury and I haven't heard anything uh, to indicate otherwise. You know, I think that allowed the Wanderers to get, to get into it a little bit just because, you know, you've got a makeshift right back in, um, in Abby Lemon and then a, a little bit of a makeshift left back in Princess Sabini, although she has played there before. I think that's probably the the worst thing that could happen to Sydney is because they don't have defensive depth. And so, like, while, you know, a win in the Sydney Derby is great, you kick off the new season, you send probably a good, you know, 80% of that crowd home happy at what cost sort of thing. And I think the Wanderers will surprise a lot of people this season. And I think that, fans will turn up to watch uh, to watch both teams play on a on a regular basis. I agree with what you're saying. Um, what the Wanderers do have the quality, it just feels like they kind of sabotage themselves, uh, I guess, in our program, the women's program, it feels like. I hope they can get it together this year, despite the fact they've 
kind of taken a step back, sacking a coach with 10 days to go. But you can still see there's a bit of quality there. And Sydney's obviously lost a lot of players who they've replaced. So it's going to be a process to see how they piece it together. But you can see that quality is there. What I really enjoy from that game, though, is, and again, shout out to the active support for getting around. I know the Coves have been getting around for a few years, but the Cove just expanded after that first goal went in because everyone saw where that noise came from and wanted to join in. So that was a nice little moment there. But again, when it comes to injuries, another thing to remember is, I guess, and even losses, clubs can afford to drop points or to rest players because the season is suddenly longer now. You know, one defeat or one draw to a lower side doesn't ruin your season anymore. It's suddenly not a sprint, it's a marathon. So it's going to be interesting to see how teams, especially these two Sydney teams who are drastically different expectations, deal with an extended season. And Paletti, you touched on the... um the Sydney, sort of the lack in depth, I guess, in the defensive area. I mean, from a Wanderers' point of view, I was a bit disappointed um, with, I guess, the lack of going forward. I mean, there were some instances where, like, just say Sydney had a corner, basically 10 players in around the box from the Wanderers. I just would have liked to send a bit more, I guess, urgency, a bit more attacking emphasis. I mean, Sophie Harding was basically, I reckon, a bit isolated for much of the game. I know Sydney... Obviously, the more talented side, they're going to dominate possession, etc. But um, yeah, I know you've got to be conservative, but at the same time, I think they could have been got after a bit more, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree with that. Like, but but that's not a new problem for the Wanderers. That's that's an existing problem. That was, that was a problem last year. There's a reason that, like, in the lead into last season. Every you know, every pundit was saying the Wanderers need to sign a striker. The Wanderers need to sign a striker, and then they don't sign a striker, and they look less than ideal. Serena Bolden comes in, and oh my gosh, the Wanderers look like a completely different side because they've signed a striker. And it's like, yes, this is what we've been saying for two months now. Like, you know, go sign someone else because Sophie Harding as a lone number nine up top is not the answer. Like, you can have, you know, a player as talented as Beth Gordon, you know, feeding service through at will, but, you know, you kind of need someone else there to, to, to help carry it on, in my opinion. And that's not necessarily a slight on Sophie Harding. I just think if she's the only... She, she works best in a front two, not as a lone number nine, in, in my opinion. On on the flip side of the game, we see Sydney FC with an established striker. And the, the finish from Wurtz for that second goal is... The chip over the keeper is absolutely brilliant. She played a beautiful through ball for Courtney Vine as well, which could have brought the house down if that went in. And so, like you say, you know, the season's longer and, and one match doesn't dictate how you go anymore. But having such a solid striker that you can play for potentially 22 games in a year, that has to be a huge advantage. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Fiona, who's played not only for Adelaide United, where she won the Julie Donald medal, but also here in our local WMPL. So she's a fantastic player who would have been very disappointed with her last year played out. The year before, she got 13 goals, Julie Donald medalist, and last year didn't even reach double digits. So I think she needed a change, and what a team to walk in. You know you know that Sydney FC are always going to be a side that wants the ball, that's confident, that brings in quality. And you can see when you put her in that team, not only can she finish off chances like she did, but she's also a great creator. So it's a fantastic pickup for Sydney FC, and I reckon she's going to really 
tally up those numbers, especially in the longer season. Uh, she's a real asset to have. And she's kind of like one of those glue players that can help integrate all these new pieces by feeding them or making them look good by finishing off chances like she did the other day. So great recruiting from Sydney FC, who it feels like we say this every year for Sydney FC in the A-League women. Usually the Wanderers suffer because of that. But yeah, another great recruit from Sydney FC. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I think looking at words as well, I think playing in that particular front front three is that she has the option to dart out to the wing and not, and you can have Princess Sabini come in as, as the striker of that front three, and you can have Courtney Vine come in as a striker, and, you know, all that front three can move around to any side, you know, any section of that front third, and none of them look out of place, and I think that's only going to help uh, Fiona Words going forward. And Paletti, maybe a, a quick word on Kirsty Fenton. She, down at left back, she was up and down the wing all game. She was brilliant. And the finish on the half volley for that first goal was amazing. Oh, absolutely superb. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about uh, about the way Kirsty, about the way you know, Fenton played. You know, I think as long as as long as she gets to continue to play left back, Fenton's going to have a fantastic season. No injury update on Nat Tobin. Um, and I think we touched on the death a little bit. Now, Sydney FC are the sort of side that can go out and sign an injury replacement player um, if needed. I think if you look at their depth, you know, uh, Margot Chavez didn't um, didn't make the squad for the fixture. Um, so she'll, she'll come in at some point. But then there's someone I was talking with at the game about it is if you look at their bench, it's all forwards and midfielders. And that's where all their depth is. It's in that, you know, front half of the pitch. So hopefully it's, you know, a one-month injury for Nat Tobin and not a six-month season-ending injury. But yeah, Sydney FC absolutely have the have the ability to go out and sign an injury replacement. Probably have to look internationally because I don't know who from, you know, who hasn't already got a contract from NPL New South Wales would fit the profile of being able to play as a centre-back in Sydney FC system. Okay, now to the F3 derby. Central Coast Mariners nil, Newcastle 1. Christian, two red cards late in the game, a little bit of madness and a late Molina Ayres winner. Yeah, so going into the game, obviously, first game of the season, there's always going to be a bit of nerves. Um, first game of the season, obviously. But the big news out of it was Courtney Newbon the late signing to replace um, Sarah Langman in goals. So that was a bit unexpected. So Emily Husband even said after the match that she'd be training with the team for the past few days. Um, but, I mean, just to, to slot straight into the side and to be so solid, um, I thought was really impressive, actually, to be honest. Um, first half, pretty cagey, to be honest. Um, both sides didn't, I guess, didn't um, gain real territory or a lack of possession. Um Look, the Jets, I guess, had the better of the chances, um, but the Central Coast got more back into the game in the second half. But Melina Ayres, I mean, she's quality. I mean, if you followed her journey with the victory, um, absolutely deadly. And she got that opportunity late in the game after the two red cards. Um, and once the two red cards happened, I think the game opened up a bit more in favour of the Jets because obviously they got a bit more quality. I mean, the Mariners have an average age of about 23. So obviously inexperienced and then... Um, yeah, the game just, I guess, more in the Jets' favour. And it makes a big difference, doesn't it, when you have obviously a new side in Central Coast and a new look side in Newcastle. Just having 
the top quality striker in that matchup, very often you'll find yourself in the winning side. And like you mentioned, Melina is, we know what she's done for victory, <laughs> especially when finals roll around. You can almost guarantee she's going to find herself in front of goals. But again, a hard game like that goes a bit crazy. She doesn't need too many chances to finish them off. And in a game that tight, she's the difference maker. And we saw that huge three points for Newcastle um, in the first week. And after a few disappointing seasons, they'd be looking to maybe sneak to those last few spots in the finals now that they become available with the expanded competition. Well, let's talk about the red card, shall we? Because I'm very interested in your guys' opinion on this. So there's a, a foul on Bianca Galich. And the referee has a slight moment of hesitation as she looks to play advantage. And there's a coming together between Isabel Gomez and Rebecca Burrows. Burrows ends up on the ground and the two Jets centre-backs, Natasha Pryor and Alex Hune, see this from about 20 metres away. And they're sprinting into this, you know, little pack of players that is building. Faye Bryson sees this and puts herself in between the two players and, you know, picks up most of the brunt of everyone charging into this situation. At the end of it all, Natasha Pryor walks away with nothing as the instigator of it all, whilst Alex Hune and Faye Bryson both receive second yellow cards and their marching orders from the game. It's, it was all a bit crazy, and, you know, Bryson probably feels a little bit hard done by by it all. You sound like one of those National Geographic commentators that talk about the scene of what just happened. But yeah, it's, again, I felt like there were a couple of cards missing there, but I guess both players can't really argue when you run into join a melee like this, you usually do get punished. They were unlucky that they were already on cards, but it's something you have to take into account as well. I know you first come of the season, tempers running high, that guardrail's on the line, you want to win it, so you might want to charge in. But again, when you're already on the card, you have to take that into account. I do agree that maybe a few other players we're a bit fortunate to get away with it, but I don't think either player can really complain about that. But again, Derby resumes, double red cards. Again, a bit a bit of heat in that moving forward. At the end of the day, really, it was just unnecessary. I mean, you got both players, like you said, Atonis, on yellow cards. I mean, I know it's a derby, but you just got to keep your head in those moments. Ten minutes to go in the match. Nil all, game's on the line. And I mean, just keep your head. I mean, it's that simple, really. Paletti, this derby's been absent from the women's calendar for a long time now. Is it maybe a double red card is a nice little thing just to get that rivalry going again? I mean, it doesn't hurt. Like anyone, anyone who knows uh, Alex Huon and the way that she plays, uh, this is not a surprise that that she's picked up a red. Um, I was listening to the Far Post pod earlier today, and you know. Sam Lewis had a had a nice gag, uh, you know, a nice little bit of a gag about it, and I think it's just it's not a surprise as well. Uh, I mean, neither of them can complain. They both rushed in, and you know, you get a second yellow for rushing in. Like if this was, you know, if this was rugby league, both of them gone for ten. See you later. Like this is not a surprise in the slightest. Um, I think the loss of Bryson. Hurt the wonder, uh, hurt the wanderers. God, losing my mind. Hurt the Mariners a little bit more, and not not just because of the goal. I think it opened up a little bit more for the Jets in that forward line. Whereas I felt that the Mariners weren't able to take advantage 
you know, and it'll definitely make the return fixture interesting uh, when that happens. Also, uh, Courtney Newborn, uh, another of the Sydney University alum to join Emily Husband at the Mariners. Who'd have thought? Another Sydney Uni player. Hmm. And Tonus, you brought it up before, the uh, the piece of guardrail off the F3 derby that is now the, the A-League women's trophy for the, A-League der- for the A-League derby, uh, F3 derby rather. Uh, what do we prefer? Do we prefer the concrete or the or the guardrail? <laughs> I like the original. I'm going to stick with the concrete. But again, guardrail is a very, very nice touch. And you can see I mean, a lot of players were very keen to claim that going from that little fight that we saw with 10 minutes to go. So I think they hit the spot because it's very hotly contested. I mean, it could have just as easily have been a speed camera, right? <laughs> No, the guardrail is fantastic. I think it's like you could have gone, found another piece of concrete and just been like, yep, we're going to have dueling. We're going to have dueling trophies. But I think, you know, getting the guardrail to differentiate them is definitely makes it worth it. Yeah, just a bit of a challenge for um, the New Zealanders when Auckland comes in, beat those trophies because I'm looking (laughs) out for them. All right, very nice. Now we'll move to Adelaide United for Canberra United for and Antonis absolute goal fest, three penalties, goalkeeper errors. It was a crazy day of football. Yeah, a bit of everything, wasn't it? And nearly 3,000 attendants as well. And I spoke to Adrian Stenter after the game and I said, oh, you may not think it, but I reckon it's a perfect game for all these neutrals that came to say, oh, I want to go back and watch that because it did have a bit of everything. But yeah, going from the Adelaide United perspective, speaking to Adrian Stenter about a week or two before the season started, he mentioned how last se- or the last couple of seasons – they were relying on both Fiona Words and Chelsea Dorber to, I guess, create and score these goals. And the year before, it worked out with 23 of the 33 goals United scored coming from that partnership. But then last season, I don't think they got to double digits combined. And you saw that in the results. So really the recruitment has, the focus has been in giving them options in the final third. And you saw that happening. Alana Janczewski, is absolutely incredible. Not just the penalty goal she scored, but that ball she played for for Hannah Blake's goal. Oh my goodness, that's up to with the assist of the season and then I haven't even seen 90% of the season. That was phenomenal. Again, I spoke about Hannah Blake who put her effort into the top corner. Mariah Lee looks like a very, very exciting option for United. Anyone I watched really could see what she could provide. Rosetta Taylor was lively. Obviously, you've got Amelia Murray off the bench. So suddenly, United's got a lot of options moving forward. I really liked Sarah Morgan in midfield. And again, I'm very glad United got the late equaliser because they didn't deserve to lose that game, especially off a couple of unfortunate errors that we saw um, Annalie Grove make. So... Again, I think 4-0 was a fair result. And yeah, I think everyone left relatively happy with that. Of course, this game could have ended so many different ways. Ruby Nathan had a, a brilliant chance in the 89th minute, could have perhaps passed it, could have you know got a shot on target. And then uh, Miljovic as well, thought she'd won it for Canberra right late in the game, but was ruled offside. And uh, Vesna Milivojevic is a spectacular 
player. You know, he kind of beggars belief how she's playing for Serbia, not the Matildas, to be honest. But it's a good place to be when you're producing so many quality international players that players like that sneak away from your system. So she was phenomenal. And another thing to remember with Adelaide United is they were missing a lot of quality, especially at the back. Izzy Hodgson, the captain at fullback, injured. Marushka Walders, for me, is one of the best defenders in the league, out injured. And Nana Sasaki, who can play as a defensive midfielder and a centre-back, out injured as well. So, again, uh, a lot of individual errors that led to that goal, which I feel like when that defensive unit is back, will solidify. So, good place to be for Adelaide right now for me. And also Canberra would be very happy with how they're going. Obviously, you've got Michelle Heyman chasing that record, which I'm sure she's very hungry to get. You've got Maria Rojas up there, Vesna Miljevic. It's a good place for them to be as well. And Chloe Lincoln, who, despite copping four, was very solid in the Canberra goals as well. I really liked her game too. Mm, so, Paletti... Antonis mentions Michelle Heyman moves to 95 all-time goals in the A-League women's. When she does eventually hit that 100 and will be the first player to do so, how big of an achievement is that? It's massive and I don't think you can you can you know overstate it at all. Like if anything I think you'll understate the achievement because you got to remember she retired. Even when she came back it's one of those, okay, but can she do it? Because at that point, we were still looking at heavily reduced seasons. You know, we're in the first of a 22-game season. You know, last year's extended season as well. It's just, it. these are all things that are going to help her reach it. And yeah, I just don't think we'll be able to understate it enough. If anything, I think that, you know, we, we look at Michelle Heyman and she might be underrated. Like, in the dub, and I don't say that from a sense of everyone sleeping on her sort of vibe, but it's just like I don't think there's a lot of people who fully appreciate ev- not only everything she's done for the dub, but everything she's done for Canberra United and everything she's going to continue to do when she breaks the record. And it's she came to Adelaide United a few years back after ACL, and the answer was, oh, God, no, I don't think she's got it anymore because it seemed that recovery was taking a long time. So for her to move on from United and go back to Canberra and continue doing this is truly incredible. And you've got to remember, she's been doing this since players were basically playing in this league for free with very short seasons all the way till now. So she's seen this competition. She, you can bookmark the competition with Michelle Hammond in it at different points. So it's just not just the achievement she's about to hopefully achieve this year, but just the longevity of it, which isn't always the case in women's sports, not just from an athletic point of view, but just the situations that this isn't something that many players can afford to do, to chase their dreams with the conditions that they've had to deal with here in Australia. So it's an incredible achievement that is going to take a while to be broken, be it for, I guess, the seasons that we've got here or players moving to bigger and better things overseas. So we're going to be talking about Michelle Heyman a long time after she retires. I think Canberra, especially in the attacking half, are going to be very difficult to break down because, like you've mentioned, Michelle Heyman, even Maria, Maria Rojas, um, Milanojevic, like... These players, I mean, you can't just target one player. They've got so, 
a lot of good combination play, good chemistry about them. Um, even Milanovic, like you mentioned, Antonis, even last season for me, she was, I guess, underrated in some aspects. I mean, she didn't really get the headlines or the spotlight that I guess she deserved. And I think moving forward um, in the A-League season, um, I think questions going to be asked, why is she playing for Serbia ahead of Australia, like you said? And that's the thing with those three. They get you in different ways. It's not just one type of player you have to stop. You know, they do many different things. It's a very adaptable and very high-quality trio that we're talking about. There's other players around that can really get a job done. So, And again, I just want to make that point again. We do have a 16 final series. In the past, with only four teams making it in, a side that may be around fifth or sixth by like nine, ten points away from fourth, mentally checks out. It's human nature. All these sides, I reckon up to eighth or ninth, may still be like engaged in this finals race for longer. So we're going to see a lot more exciting football this season than we've seen any other season, in my opinion. Not just for the longer season, but for the final series change. So I'm very excited for that because it keeps sides like Adelaide, like Canberra, who may not be in the top two, three sides, engaged for longer. And when sides can play like this, you want them mentally engaged because that's what keeps bringing people back. They're fun to watch. Um, I did want to give a shout out to uh, Tegan Bertalicio, young 17-year-old uh, on on debut uh, for Canberra, gave away the penalty, um, or one of the penalties, I should say. I've seen her at NPL News as well. It's a fantastic player. This performance from her looked like it was just a small blip in the radar. Shout out to Beyond 90 for pointing this out. Uh, Canberra have apparently signed Hannah McNulty, which, you know... Good for her. I'm I'm incredibly excited about that. She's done wonderful things for Northern Tigers. So I'm happy to see that play out. And you can head over to the innersanctum.com.au to have a look at a chat I did with her a few months ago about the Sapphire Cup. Nicely woven in there, Paletti. Well done. Okay, on now to Melbourne Victory 1, Brisbane Raw 2. And Christian, the Victory's first game at their new home, the home of the Matildas, in fact, was... Not quite the happy occasion they hoped for as Brisbane claim a pretty big scalp away from home. Yeah, home of the Matildas at La Trobe University. But for me, I think a lot of people definitely expected this to be not a comfortable victory win, but certainly at least victory to get a result. But I'm probably one of the few that's not very shocked at this result. I knew victory would take time into the season to gel with all the departures. I mean, especially up front, Catherine Zimmer, Zimmerman. Um, you got... Melina Ayres, obviously, as well, another departure. Maya Markovsky, another one. So, I mean, all these players, I mean, they're valuable assets, especially up front. And you can tell during the game, just in that final third, it just didn't it just didn't click for them. And Brisbane took their opportunities on the counterattack, um, set-piece play. They were just clinical in the end. Um, I thought, to be fair, victory did have a couple of the better chances. But again, Brisbane did well to... I guess, weather the storm. And um, yeah, I was pretty impressed with Brisbane. I mean, in the off-season, I said last week on the podcast how they've been doing a lot in the off-season to get this women's team right, to have the same resources as the men's team. Um, And yeah, very impressed with them, actually. Got four debutants, actually, for Brisbane, including 16-year-old Grace Kualamu. Obviously, she scored a goal as well, to be fair, good finish. Um, I think they tried to utilise their pace up front and try and expose, I guess, a victory's back line, which I guess isn't blessed with the best of pace. Um, but, yeah, all in all, yeah, very good match, actually. 
Yeah, and I don't think um, Victory are worried because obviously they were missing the two Matildas in Kellen Knight and Emily Gilnick. But again, disappointing start of the season, but we've seen Jeff Hopkins' sides in the past kind of be a bit inconsistent in the season, but they get it together when the time comes. But it is a longer season, though, so that dynamic does change. And well done to, I think, I want to give a shout-out to the Victory Vikings for their tribute for one of their legendary players, which the club hasn't actually announced that she's left. So good on them for that. And I did like speaking of fans, the Brisbane fans, having us, one of their signs said, had the Brisbane logo and said, the real home of the Matildas. (laughs) So that was a nice little touch with the venue they were playing in. But yeah, fun match. And again, it's showing us that you mentioned Brisbane, that they're trying to really raise the game when it comes to the women's side. It's good to see. It's good to see more clubs putting those resources in the women's side. Here in Adelaide, Adrian Stent has been hired full-time, first women's coach here in club history. That's the case. That's what you need to see, and that's where you see a league get better and better. We've got so many sides this year that can fight for a finals position, and the league and narrative of the league will only be better for it. So... It's a good time to follow this league. Paletti, the uh, the victory had a disallowed goal for offside. Is that fair enough? Yes. Rachel Lowe was offside. I'm not I'm not talking as a bit of Sydney fan, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. She was completely offside. She was obstructing she was obstructing the side of the keeper from an offside position. Anyone who knows anything about football can tell you that's offside and yeah, uh, there's there's no debate there. Antonis, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I think the commentator was a little bit confused about where the offside occurred. I think she thought it occurred earlier in play, but it's exactly what Paletti is saying. Once you obstruct the goalkeeper's view in the offside position, especially when the shot goes in that side of the goal, your near side, which becomes even more glaring when the keeper didn't save it because that's usually the protected side, it's going to be ruled for offside. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah, 100% agree. I just want to give a shout-out to Betty Goad as well in the midfield for Victor. I think she really stood out. Um, even a couple of passes didn't quite make it, but you can tell she's got that IQ, um, that intelligence to really at least make something happen, which I thought was probably lacking a bit um, throughout, I guess, parts of the game. Also for Brisbane, um, Sean Fryer, she brought a lot of energy and versatility, I thought. I mean, even towards the end of the game, she got converted back to left-back position after being in a more forward position. So, yeah, she's going to be a valuable asset for Brisbane, for sure. Okay, let's move to the West now. Perth, Glory 2, Western United 2 in the late, late fixture, at least for us on the east side on Saturday night. And Antonis, uh, a good win for Perth against the runners-up from last year. Yeah, look, Perth has been building the last few years with Alex Parkers, who is doing a phenomenal job out west. We often forget them because they are out west and they haven't had that success of making and playing in regular finals. But again, that top four final series is very, very harsh because there's a lot of brilliant teams that have missed out on finals over the last few years. I remember three years ago, Adelaide United missed on finals by one goal, not point, a single goal. So, again, that kind of shadows the good work that's been 
happening out west. It's a very well-drilled side of some very talented players. But both these goals were so extremely well taken. Um, Susan Fonson came in that bottom corner. And then that smashing shot by Grace Jale, who is such a great pickup. She will single-handedly win that side at lower points. She's a very high-quality player. So great to see Perth do what they do. I'm not so great as an Adelaide fan, though, because there's a lot of competition for that top six, and they'll be right in it as well. Um, but as you said, Western United, you know, you come in as the unknown quantity in the league. You don't know much about them. keep surprising everyone. By the end of the short season, you're like, oh, wait, they're not a surprise package. They're literal, they're literal championship contenders. This isn't the case this year. This year, they are a top-quality side that's being chased. And they've signed quality players like a Chloe Logaza, who obviously didn't play, like Grace Meyer, who they've got the ability to play a centre-back, which tells you about the quality that's in that side. So we'll see how they play out. They're still going to be around the mark. They're going to be just fine, especially once they regain Logazo. Sounds like Hillary Bill is going to be returning to Australia and to Western United. And anyone that watched them play last year can tell you about her quality. So, again... Small blip in the radar for them. They're going to be just fine. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait to watch them play out of that new facility that's opening up out in the west of Melbourne. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Western United will be too worried with this result. I thought Morgan Aquino was brilliant in goals in the first half for Perth to keep it at nil-nil. And if that free kick from Tyler J. Vlanich goes in instead of thundering off the crossbar to make it one all, then the game could have ended up completely different. Uh, but as you mentioned, Antonis, uh, there's some new stadium news out of the West, Paletti. Yeah, so breaking news as we record, which means uh, it'll be outdated by the time you listen to this. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Western United are set to play games at their regional football facility this season out in Tarnay. Uh, Wyndham City Council has approved plans to increase playing capacity at the facility um, to include not only uh, A-League women matches, but also A-League men matches uh, with potential for doubleheaders to be hosted on the same day. A new 2,000-seat terrace grandstand to the east of the main pitch has been approved to cater for the extra on-site matches. Um, Wyndham City Mayor Councillor Susan McIntyre said, we can't wait to see both the men's and women's teams play right here in Wyndham. Uh, yeah, in Wyndham. Uh, by using the training facility as a match day venue for both competitions until the 15,000 capacity stadium is built, we're getting Western United to its rightful home in Tane uh, sooner rather than later. So we're going to have football in the Western Melbourne. How good? It's, and I feel like for the moment in time, that's probably the perfect venue for both sides when it comes to the size and capacity. And again, I believe the 15,000 see the stadium when I see it. And hopefully that comes. But for now, it's a great facility for them. The only slide on that is the public transport. I don't think there's a train line that goes there yet. But credit to the club because I've heard that uh, with the closest stop or something along those lines, I'm not very well versed in Melbourne geography, but they'll be in the closest train station. They're going to have, or in Werribee or something like that, they're going to have buses free for all ticket holders to go to and from the game so the club is really backing this project as they should and a big credit to them because they have really invested in that side from the beginning and really we see the whole stadium fiasco that's happened since they came in but if you remove that situation now it's a very well-run club men's women's it is a very well-run club the stadium situation makes it a bit eh 
But again, finally have a home. They're going to be playing in their catchment zone, in their spiritual home. I can't wait to watch them there because that's where they belong and that's where they want to be. So hopefully that community builds there and they become a very strong club moving into the future, men's and women's. That all, that all starts as well from, I guess, gaining an identity. I think West United have really struggled, I think, since probably their inception, even with the men's as well, just obviously competing with the likes of City and Victory in the same city. I mean, that geographical location, but it seems now that they're finally um, sort of fixing that area up and hopefully they can attract more fans and, um, yeah, it's hopefully all the up. And you can see how this is moving eventually to City hopefully going to the east and you got west and the west and you got victory kind of in the middle there. And long term, that's where you want to build your communities, you know. Uh, right now it's kind of a scattered mess and I think the A-Leagues or the APL, whoever's involved, even uh, Football Australia at the time, realised you can't, you can no longer have just generic FC clubs popping up. You know, you need very clear boundaries where clubs are to build those communities, to invest in those communities. And that's what you're getting, you see, with these new expansions. You've got MacArthur, you've got Western United. You know, you don't have concepts like a Melbourne victory, a Melbourne city. You know, you've got very clear clubs. And I think that's the way forward. So it's good to see. I think the thing that was really clear out of the Sydney expansion was giving Western Sydney that very clear identity and contrasting it to Sydney FC really helped build that rivalry. And as you say, hopefully with Western United in the West and Melbourne City perhaps in, in the East, then these teams can start to, you know, gather their own identity. But that's it. It's exactly what you're talking about, Sydney, because it's the antithesis of one another, you know, and that's what you need something tangible. You can have those rivalries on the pitch, the little tips, the heated battles, but you need something tangible off the pitch to keep that alive. And, you know, we're slowly, slowly getting there. And, you know, and again, this is a league in its infancy. You know, we are just about 20 years old as a league, which is nothing. You know, this league is basically a teenager. So as we move on, the league will grow and mature with that and that history will go along with it. So pieces are falling into place right now and that's what we can hope for okay let's move on to the final game of the round now wellington phoenix nil melbourne city won a gutsy win away from home but paletti this game was always going to be a a big story for riley foster in goal for the knicks yeah she looked she looked absolutely fantastic um i can't i can't falter at all She, she had a she had a top class performance First game in over seven hundred days, you know, after after a car crash that left her with a steel ring halo on her head, you know, she was told she'd never play football again, and you know, now she's put up a performance like that in her first game back in in Wellington, and I don't know if she's going to be the number one going forward. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Paul Temple does because Brianna Edwards had uh, you know a fantastic season last year, stepping in for Lily Allfeld. Um, I don't quite think it'll be. You know they're going to rotate back and forth from game to game, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But and I, I think Wellington overall did the same. They're going to be so fun to watch this season. I mean, you look at the corresponding fixture last year. It was a four-one win for Melbourne City opening round of the season. Um, 
just as they just as they had lost their coach Rado Vidicic. Um, sorry, Rado Vidicic hadn't moved over to the men's side at that point, but he didn't make the trip to New Zealand because he was sick and then left the side. I think it was about a week later. So new coach coming in. They've had Dario for the full off season now. Um, you know the Knicks. Uh, like Paul Temple has got the Knicks playing a good style of football. They probably should have got a draw out of this game, if not, if not an outright win. Uh, so I think they're they're absolutely going to be you know a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, you mentioned Hannah Wilkinson, who goes from hero for New Zealand to a villain in a couple of months' time. So very interesting how that how football comes around sometimes. Good to see. But as you mentioned, really impressed with how Paul Temple has had this side playing in such a short period of time. Really excited to watch. And I'm really looking forward to watching them play and develop um, over the next few months. They are going to make mistakes, but, you know, that's the point. That's how you learn. So it's good to see that. Melbourne City, again, it's a real quality side. And you've got players like Policina, McNamara, Wilkinson to finish these chances off. They're going to be just fine. Um one thing about Wellington, though, both men's and women's, this is time for them to get serious because I guess the dream and the nightmare scenario is coming true. You know, you get another New Zealand side in there to fight for these players, to fight for these resources. And by the investor, it looks like it's going to be a very well-resourced side. So you need to really build solid foundations in the men's, but also in the women's, which is a newer program, which can make them a bit more vulnerable to a new team coming in as well. So, again, a big challenge for them to come up. That's next year, though. The best thing they can do is be really solid this year and set some really good foundations for their players and this culture to come through. I think from a Melbourne City perspective, it's going to be interesting to see the balance between youth and experience. I think there's a bit more a bit more experience compared to youth, but, I mean, with the likes of Daniela Gallich, for example, um, Julia Grosso, like... In the past, you've had the likes of, you know, Steph Catley, those real leaders in the team. I know they've got a couple, but just be interesting to see if that might impact them in any way. Not too sure what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they've, uh, they've re-signed Carly Ross back in. That, that, that was announced, uh, I believe, just before the game last week. I'd have to double-check my emails to see when that release came out. But, you know, Ross back in is there. We touched on in the preview, you know, Rebecca Stott comes back. They paid money for her. She's the captain. Like, Chinema's been around a few times. Uh, Caitlin Torpy has as well. You know, they brought in Laura Hughes from, from Canberra United. You you got the McKennas. You got Polishina, who's been around for quite a bit as well. Briley Henry as World Cup experience. McNamara, again, same thing. Oh, sorry, for Briley Henry, under 20 World Cup experience. Um, McNamara. Probably should have gone to the Asian Cup with the Matildas if it wasn't for an injury. Um, and Hannah Wilkinson. So, I mean, it's definitely a lot of experience there. Melissa Barbieri also, I forgot to mention. She's obviously not maybe going to start every game, but at least that experience, you know. She's part of the furniture right now. She can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's, you just need her there. It, she's just a stalwart. Well, so, I mean, it's good to see her there. You may as well have her on the books as an option. Like, she's, she's the goalkeeping coach as well. So, you may as well have her on the books as an option if needed. Like, a, a real break glass in case of emergency type. And I think like Andy Bernal at Central Coast, she's kind of like the vibe manager of that team as well, I reckon. So, good to see Okay, there we go. All six games from round one of the A-League Women's Covered. 
Now, in 60 seconds or less, I would like you all to pick one game from round two next weekend that you're excited about and give us a very brief preview. Brisbane versus Sydney. Brisbane, it was said as well by some people that probably got a little bit of an upset over the victory uh, on Sunday. They looked incredible. Sydney FC as well coming off a victory. You know, they've got the they've got the injury issue with Nat Tobin. You know, traveling up to Brisbane that could make for a very exciting game. No Melbourne bias here, but definitely West United victory. Um, obviously, both sides off a loss. I mean, very interesting to see. You know, who comes down on top with that. Um, obviously, Chloe Legazzo didn't play last week. Emily Gilnick also. Um, I mean, you can't see any of these two teams, I guess, starting 0-2. But, um, you know, just be interesting to see who dominates possession, etc. I mean, West United, obviously, grand finalists. Um, yeah, very interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, um, my biased opinion is the Adelaide game, but I'm going to go unbiased and go Melbourne City, Canberra United, especially from what I saw from Canberra last week and knowing what Melbourne City is capable of, expecting a lot more fireworks in that game and two positive sides once again testing each other out and seeing how much they can bend. Very interesting. So looking forward to that. But there's so many good games on next week. I can't wait. Okay, next week we'll have to do a, uh, a no hometown rule. And we'll see what, what, other, what other teams we can bring up. I resisted. <laughs> well done. Okay. On to, on to some international news now. And the Socceroos went down 1-0 to England on Saturday morning at a sold-out Wembley Stadium. Now, given that England do have their Euro qualifier against Italy on Wednesday morning, it was an undermanned team. But Poletti... There's a lot to be encouraged by with that Australian performance and a few young players getting their first debuts as well. Yeah, I think to only go down 1-0 to England kind of says a lot. Probably should have gotten a draw out of this as well. Um, a couple of shots just off target. I mean, I don't really have a lot to say on the game uh, from the little bits that I did watch of it. I think it looked, you know, just like the soccer side of the Graham Arnold's got it, got them playing the way that he wants to, and I think that's kind of all I really can say on it is that it looked like you know the Socceroos that Graham Arnold expects, and against another team, they're probably walking away with the victory in that game. Yeah, and you mentioned how England was undermanned, but undermanned for England is Australia's golden generation plus plus plus. So <laughs> um, again, we put up a very good performance, you know. Um, Again, very dangerous on set pieces. Probably should have grabbed a goal. Again, once again, vulnerable when it comes to those second effort bowls, which is where we end up conceding from. But again, a very good performance. But the respect of being invited to play at Wembley, it just shows you how far Australian football's come in the last 12 months after a positive, two positive World Cup performances. And the players were producing right now because a decade ago, that wasn't the case. I saw, I think, Henry Winter and English journalists talk about, oh, this isn't the most talented Australian generation. And I'm just thinking, compared to what? You know, compared to the last 10 years, this is next level. And we keep producing players. We're going to have a lot of great players coming through the next few years. So we are at a very good spot. Again, happy with our performance. And it shows you that once again, we can match it to their sides. We're not going to dominate the game against them, but we've got players that can make life difficult for them. So it was great to see. And 
not sure when this is coming out. I can't remember exactly at what time the New Zealand game is on, but if you're listening to this after the New Zealand game, I hope it went well. But right now, I hope that goes well. So, again, it's a side that we really should be playing well and positive against, and it hasn't always been our strength. So we're really interested to see what Australia does in a game where we really should be having more of the ball to see how we operate in that. So looking forward to that. Yeah, Christian, I think this window is a very interesting transition for the Socceroos. Over the last 12 months, we've played a lot of the teams that you know are theoretically better than us. They have better quality players. And we've actually looked pretty good without the ball in our defensive structure. But when we go from England to New Zealand and then into World Cup qualifiers and the Asian Cup in January, we're going to be playing a lot of games where we're the team that's expected to have a lot of the ball. And we won't be able to rely on goals in transition as much as we have in the last few games. How do you think Australia is going to go with this change in game plan? Yeah, that was going to be my next point. I think the common theme recently with the Socceroos has been defensively, okay, yeah, we've been solid, not conceding too many goals. I think Graham Arnold's done a great job in that aspect. But then going forward, I mean, especially against the the tougher opposition or the higher-ranked opposition, we just struggle, I guess, in that final third, that final pass, that little bit of quality. And we're just, I think, lacking that number nine, that real true number nine. I mean, Mitch Duke not putting anything against him. He's done, obviously, with the World Cup as well. He was magnificent, you know, with his work rate, et cetera. But just, we're just lacking that, someone who we can rely on to really, just for that goal that we need. I, I know it's going to be a bit different with the World Cup qualifying, obviously, at the first few stages. We're going to have more of the ball, more of the chances. Should dominate, you know, most of the games, you'd think. Um, but when it gets to that, you know, um, last phase in Asia, the likes of Japan, Saudi Arabia, how are we going to, I guess, adapt when we don't have much of the ball? So I think Arnold's still experimenting a bit with, you know, that transitional phase, the younger players. Um, yeah, just trying to work that work that out, I guess. Yeah, and I think games like the New Zealand game, especially going through World Cup qualifiers and the Asian Cup, especially to group stages there, where you are supposed to be the quote-unquote dominant side, you need to experiment with that to see. Because we actually look, very good when England was defending the lead, obviously, and we made those subs. We looked very positive. The first change I make, again, I know you want to play all your big three centre-backs and you find a spot for roles a left-back. For me, that should be Jordi Boss's spot for the next X amount of years. He is a soccer starting left-back quality. Play him. I know that one centre-back misses out. It's very unfortunate. But guess what? It's a good place to be because if you told me 10 years ago that we'd be keeping a very good centre-back out of the Socceroos starting 11, I'd be like, wow, what happened? So it's a good place to be. And being ruthless isn't a bad thing. I tweeted about that after the game. I didn't like um, the discussion after the game. We didn't embarrass ourselves. We are way past the we didn't embarrass ourselves narrative. We are a good team. We've got good players that have bought into this coach. So, you know, we should move on from that. My conversation now is what you're saying. What can we do to be more dominant? Why didn't we grab a goal against England when the opportunity showed up? What can we do when we have more of the ball? That should be the discussion. Not, not embarrassing ourselves. We no longer are the team that goes and loses by six goals. This is a good team. So we should treat it as such. Completely agree. I just want to make one point as well. Matt Ryan, I'm not sure why he's getting game after game. I mean, where are these other 
kids, these other prospects, like where's the opportunity there? I think Matt Ryan's had a bit, he's been a bit fortunate to be honest. I mean, his form has been okay in Europe with AZ Alkmaar, but I mean, I'm not too sure about what's happened with Ryan Gauchi, you know, those sorts of players. I know Redmayne um, was the backup as well as, who was the other one? Third choice. Glover, yeah. I mean, just give these kids a bit more of an opportunity. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, look, I might be a bit um, biased here, but I do see Gauchi as the long-term um, first keeper. But again, someone like Redmayne, you can thank him for his services, but what's the? I don't really see the point of having him in this team anymore because what net benefit are you getting long-term other than rewarding someone that's been good to you? Um, Form-wise as well. Um, but yeah, Matt Ryan probably is benefiting a bit from that relationship with Arnie going back to Central Coast days. At the end of the day, he is playing regularly in Europe. He is the team's captain. But again, I think you can find that balance and I'm sure he can understand um, we will give, say, Joe Gauci minutes here or a Tom Glover minutes here just to give them a taste so it's not a bit of a shock once the day eventually does come, which will come in one of these years. Graham Arnold did say in his press conference announcing the Mexico squad that part of the reason that the likes of Joe Gauci weren't selecting the team was because of the A-League's later starting date. So instead preferring those players in Europe. But it is an interesting point that perhaps when Matt Ryan wasn't getting this regular team football, there was even still a reluctance to play other goalkeepers ahead of him. So it'll be definitely be something to watch. Last but not least, the Matilda squad for their three games in Perth, their Olympic qualifiers have been announced. 21 of the 23 players that represented Australia at the Women's World Cup have been recalled for the games. The two players to miss out are Avi Lewick and Kiaia Simon, who are still yet to return from injury, with the under-23s captain Amy Sawyer and 20-year-old Charlie's Rule have been called up to the team. Guys, we know Tony Gustafsson has a very solid core of players that he trusts and uses, but as, as we were just talking about with Graham Arnold, did you expect a little bit more experimentation? Um... I hope, I hope for it. I don't know about expecting it. Two completely different things. But again, he's another one that really needs to broaden his horizons. And in comparison, Arnold has done a lot more of that because a lot of these soccerers are his, basically, quote, unquote. But again, Tony does need to broaden his horizons because there are a lot of very capable players around, not just not in that squad, in his squad that he doesn't constantly use. I made a point during the World Cup to really complain about the utilization of Alex Chidiak, who it feels only came on a 2-0 down. You know, it's that's not how you use a player like that, in my opinion. So, again, this is a perfect opportunity to try and work your way around that squad to see who's got what. Because there are games that you should be dominating and winning. Let's not talk around this. These are games with high expectations. But again, you can do this while also giving those opportunities to players in your squad that probably didn't get a chance in that World Cup tournament for obvious reasons, being the highest spot in women's world football. So interesting to see how these friendlies go. But again, it's something you just need to do. So... I'm not surprised in the slightest. 
I think I think a lot of this is I mean, not only are these the best players, but I think it's the fact that this is also there's the first games after the World Cup, like you've gotta have See, I, I always go back and forth on the idea of oh, you need to have your welcome home games. You need to have your give give people a chance on the other side of the country who didn't get to see the Matildas play, you know, a chance to see them sort of thing. But it's also like these are also the 20-odd best players that we have. Like you could maybe make the case for one or two coming in and out, but like Claire Wheeler didn't play at the World Cup. So... How, how do you say someone else deserves to go sit on the bench when, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at? Um, Ivy Lewis, Kaya Simon, I mean, no issues there. The, the fact that Simon didn't play for the Mariners and I think she's still out for the next couple of weeks, you know, it's it's an is what it is situation. Amy Sayer, you know, she's, she gets a lot of praise. Um, you know, I'm going to be fascinated to see how Tony tries to fit her in. Um across these three games in seven days. And I think that has to be remembered. It is three games in seven days. So while the World Cup was a little bit more spaced out, you know, eight days, nine days sort of thing, it's all, everyone's cramped in together. Um, And so hopefully that will give Tony the flexibility to use more of his squad. And I mean, the last thing you want is someone like Sam Kerr going back to Chelsea completely exhausted because she's played 270 minutes at home. And I think that that's a little bit of a fear. Uh, Charlie Rule is a train-on player. Um, obviously, ex-Sydney FC player. have been very high on her for quite a long time. And I've, I'm very fascinated to see that, you know, he is still kind of blooding through that young talent. So the Matildas will play two games against Iran and Chinese Taipei at HPF Park, a sold-out HPF Park, in fact, whilst the Philippines fixture has been moved to Optus Stadium by popular demand, of which 50,000 tickets at least have already been sold. Christian, we talk a lot about purpose-built stadiums in this country, and we you know, we, talk, we touched on the Western United Stadium earlier, but Football Australia have obviously identified that, you know, Perth didn't get to see the Matildas in the World Cup, and allowing... Optus Stadium to be played for one game. It is oval, but we can get lots of people in to see the Matildas. It seems like a decent compromise. I think it's a short-term solution for sure. I mean, 60,000 people, we saw the attraction it got during the World Cup. I mean, we need more purpose-built stadiums. I mean, it's just a given, really. I mean, yeah, like, we can't have other codes benefiting off, you know, these stadiums as well. It's got to be our our own stadiums, football-built stadiums. Um, in order to grow this game, which is another factor that we need to take into consideration and really focus on. Yeah, and again, you probably had to do it these days. The Matildas are too hot of a commodity right now to just shut out people completely. But hopefully we're at a stage eventually that we don't, they don't need to go to Perth because they've only got a 15,000, 16,000 stadium in HPF Park and they're purpose-built stadiums around the country available for that. But it's not going to happen if we don't push for it, you know. After a World Cup like we just had, that's when you push. And it just hasn't felt like it's come. You know, you for years we've been talking about the concept of football being big. The proof's in the pudding now. You've got something tangible to point that. And we really need to push, especially in places like 
Brisbane. I went to Brisbane for the first time at Suncorp Stadium for the France game, and that place, the Coliseum, it's amazing, and I was overawed by it. But the second thought in my head was like, Brisbane Raw play here? Really? You know, how sad is this? Honestly, this isn't a place for Brisbane Raw, you know? And Adelaide United here in Adelaide, which we are blessed with Highmark Stadium here, our crowds here will look at garbage at Suncorp Stadium. And that's where the difference is made to the product on TV, to the atmosphere, you know, to will I come back next week? So, again, it's something that needs to happen, and that's why something like the Western United 15,000 people stadium is so important because facilities like that just don't really exist, do they? And I'm not saying to build these stadiums in, like, you know, 60,000, like with Optus Stadium, for example. We saw with Amy Park with the Australia-Canada game, the atmosphere was absolutely insane. I mean, 30,000, 40,000, I mean, that's all we really need, especially for the A-League season as well, you know. Even that, you know, you can argue like 2025 is even ideal, you know. And, uh, with here at Highmarsh, we've got with standing room, we can get 17,000 people in there. And it's rocking. It's next level. You know, you hear players, people visiting saying there's nothing like that in this country. And it's because there isn't. Okay, that will do for episode two of the A-Leagues of our own podcast. Thank you, Christian. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Antonis. Yep, glad to be on the actual call this time. <laughs> Thanks, Valetti. Not a problem. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Friday for a preview of the A-League men's season. Goodbye.